we are reading, we're continuing in the book of Genesis. Genesis helps organize and shape our understanding of the world and who we are to be as people on mission for God. And so we are in Genesis chapter 24. This is the longest narrative in the book of Genesis. If I were to read the whole thing, it would actually take up all my preaching time. So I am going to read just certain verses from that uh, uh, from that selection. The 24, 1 through, I had it in 33, but I think I'm going to cut it a little shorter, and we'll see where we get. But, Genesis 24. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. Uh, notice it says it twice, so apparently he's old, old. Okay, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things, and Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had, in, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son? Back to the land from which you came, Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me, swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. But only... Uh, but uh, mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this manner, matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside of the city at the well of water at the time of evening, at the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar, and that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom I have, whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love, there's that word, keep showing up, steadfast love, to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled up her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for, you, for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Dude, it's a direct answer of prayer. Of course he prospered your journey. Anyway, 
So the rest of it ends up becoming a confirmation of that. 22 through 28, he finds out who she is, realizes she's not just a Canaanite woman. It's important. Then we realize that then there's Rebecca. He has a brother whose name is Laban, to which the readers would have already known. Laban, that guy's weird. All right? And so he, he just ends up wanting to get more money. And we find that out here. Verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad or bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. Oh, well, good, right? Everything is wonderful. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out the jewel brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah, to which Laban is probably in his head going bling bling. He also gave to her brother and to her, her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were there or with, with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, this is the servant, send me away to my master, her brother, Laban, and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us, um, some, you know, a while, like a few, like ten days or so. And after that, she may go, like following behind with Adam. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send, send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca, and she said to, and, he, and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister and her nurse, and Rebekah's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac returned from Ber Lahalroy and was dwelling in the Negev, which means south. And, and, is, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And so, so there, there's the sun going down, and here comes the scene to conclude everything. He lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So... She took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The word of the Lord. So I have this little girl, one of my daughters, and she is uh, very interesting. Why? Because she has an interesting fear. Right? Every evening, usually, she gets to the stairs, and I tell her, Hey, you need to go downstairs and put your pajamas on, brush your teeth, and get ready for bed. And she then does a little dance at the top of the stairs, and it looks like, you know, like when the water's really cold and you're trying to get in the pool. And she goes, does this. She's like, uh, well, um... I don't know if I can go. And I'm like, what are you doing? She, she's like, I'm scared. And I go, scared of what? And she's like, I don't know what it is. She might be afraid. Or she has fears of, like, spiders and, like, the demogorgon coming out of her closet from Stranger Things and Pennywise the clown. She thinks every clown is Pennywise, really just an alien creature that eats kids. Don't listen to that, kids. Don't ever watch it. 
Anyway, so, um, and so that's what she thinks, okay? You're like, you're horrifying a poor child. No wonder she's scarred and doesn't want to go downstairs. Pennywise the clown. And so, what we've noticed is that whoever is with her, whenever he goes downstairs, usually it's the dog, her time downstairs and her time kind of doing what we have said is proportionally uh, equivalent to who's with her. So, if the dog goes downstairs with her, it's usually about 10 minutes that she remains down there and does what she needs to do. But, if it is her brother, she can remain 20 minutes. If it's a little sister, you know, 8 minutes. And then, if it's like her, you know, father or mother, she could stay down there all the live long day and it's totally fine. Right? Because we could squish spiders in the Demogorgon and different things like that. And so her confidence and her actions are set by her beliefs and her fears. Whatever she believes, she believes that mom and dad are stronger than anything that could possibly be down there, so she's able to be faithful. And so this servant, in the episode of the life of Isaac and Abraham, demonstrates faith in a time that is challenging. The question of the challenge is, is this family going to survive? Is God actually going to bring the blessings that he had promised to bring to Abraham? Notice Abraham is old. How old? They say he's old twice. He's like, way old. Um, and then we see Isaac. He's like a failure to launch, apparently, and is a 40-year-old virgin, a la Steve Carell, in uh, the, the movie of said title. So, I don't recommend that movie, but I've seen it. Uh, it's great. Um, <laughs> and so, how will God's promises to actually bless the world through this family continue? And then, so the main character in this narrative is the servant. And he's an example of faith, of how they can be faithful in the time that is troubling, right? He swears an oath to Abraham, but the oath is kind of crazy. How in the world are you supposed to be faithful, right? Notice the challenge that this servant is given. Hey, I want you to find a daughter for, or a, 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 a wife for Isaac. To which the servant's like, cool, not a problem. Isaac is super rich. And then, of course, Abraham is all like, well, uh, it has to be a Canaanite woman. It cannot be a Canaanite woman. He's like, the servant's not like, there's only Canaanite women around here. What, what am I supposed to do? Right? And so there, there's that chance. And then he says also, uh, you need to go over here to my people's 520 miles away, find a wife, and bring her back here. And the servant's probably like, say What? No wonder he is praying so much to God to bless his way. Why? Because it is absolutely impossible for this to happen. You know, and in many ways, we see this, you, you can't do this. You, 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 it's hard to live this way. If God is willing for this to happen, feel that tension? Or maybe it's the way Augustine prays it, we ought to pray it too. Oh Lord, work that empowers his people and enables his servant to take the actions of faith. And it could be consumerism, secularism, allegiance to political tribes, political movements. It makes us want to take shortcuts. We want to take shortcuts to faithfulness. 
It would, be, it would have been a lot easier for the servant just to find a Canaanite wife. Boom. Check. It would have taken 50 seconds. Like, hey, who wants to marry this really rich guy? And the lady probably would be like, me. And boom, arranged marriage. Done. Right? No. He wants to go find a wife from way out here. The servant's like, oh my goodness. And so we are easily tempted to take shortcuts in our own life. We want to partner with these Canaanite or worldly things, fleshly, moralistic ways of the world. We can marry ourselves, and the church can marry themselves to one political party. We can marry ourselves to consumerism and make worship into entertainment and preaching into TED Talks. We can make Christianity into a cultural movement only, that, where we set our own moral standards and hoops to jump in in order that you fit in. Churches can move into more of a social club than an outfit for mission. We can stay comfortable and not get into it with anything or anybody, avoiding calling out for injustice, avoiding working for justice, and confessing our past. We can avoid working to repair what was stolen. You see, in essence, we're, we're tempted to take all these shortcuts, but the word of faith here, what God is trying to get his people to do, is to trust him in the dark and dangerous places. If you are a Christian, the church will be led into some dark and desperate situations. God will make you uncomfortable in order that your faith may grow. And it, sometimes it is a very difficult road. But because of God's steadfast love, His promise, the end is never in doubt. And because the end is never in doubt, then you are able to work through faith's fears and faith's doubts. Faith's fears and faith's doubts. So faith's fears. The servant in the narrative is a good example of faithfulness in a fearful time. He has no control. And so what does he do? He acknowledges God. He says this. He says, the God, God is steadfast to my Lord. I know that. And so therefore I can go out. And so he trusts in the steadfast Lord. And so it is not his ability. It is not even his love for God that will make God be, be steadfast to him. And to make this thing happen, what he trusts is that God is going to be steadfast to his promise, that they were going to dwell in this land, and that they were going to have children, and that these children, when one day, the one child, will bring about blessing to the world. And so God was going to be truthful to this. And so there's a lot of fears, though. You know, uh, he doesn't just throw them out, God doesn't just throw them out on his own. The servant in the midst of the fears will follow God. God will put you through trials and put them through trials, not just because. No, it's in order to learn, like, exercise. You put yourself through trials in uncomfortable positions. You add yourself a little resistance when you're lifting weights. Why? For the gains, of course. You know, so you get swole. And so, what is this face? This servant has swole face. Why? Because he's in a fearful time. See, Faith without fear isn't commendable. Faith in the face of fear is courage. Hence why the servant prays so much. The servant is given an impossible task. It's an impossible matchmaking uh, event. He is supposed to get two things that aren't supposed to get together. We've got Isaac, the 40-year-old virgin, getting together with, like, the, the epitome of the, the tender and, and hinge uh, profile. It is, she's amazing, right? It's this impossible task to get these two together. 
if Isaac was, if he was writing a personal ad, personal ads came from the 90s, and uh, they were written in which men and women could meet together through newspapers. You know, they, they were like things that were delivered to your door, and you got the, the day's news from beforehand. It wasn't like Twitter. Uh, anyway, and so what you did was you'd write a personal ad. And in the personal ad, it says this. And what it said, single wealthy man owns lots of livestock, mature, has many servants, God promises to bless him to bless others. Looking for a single religious woman who works hard and is willing to move to a new place in a far-off land amongst some pretty bad people to bless and get married without having seen each other. You know, if this was on Bumble, she ain't initiating with him, all right? Now, let me stop for a second, though. This sermon is not about how to get the love of your life to actually like you. You know, uh, it, this isn't a sermon on Christian dating either. It's about how God's people are to walk in faith when it is much easier to take shortcuts. Alright? So if you're looking for dating advice, I'm sure there's a YouTube video on it where we could talk afterward and, and we could talk all about dating advice. Okay? But, back to where we were. The servant has to travel 520 miles into this old land to find this unicorn. Alright? She's impossible to find. So he sings. But God is working behind the scenes. And God's people must trust that He's always working behind the scenes to arrange things in order that they may be able to walk in faithfulness, even when it's difficult. You see, Rebecca ends up showing up. She's a total package of an ancient Near Eastern Semite. You know, when, she, when the servant gets to the Nahor, he meets her. And she's, she's attractive. So attractive, the Bible says she's attractive. She isn't betrothed to any man. She gives, ser- gives the servant water and waters the camels, right? And this is exactly what he asked for from God. So is God working? Uh, he prays this prayer, and exactly what he prays happens, right? And so, if you know anything about camels in the, in the desert, and I don't know how much of you are studying camels, Camels can drink up to 25 gallons of water whenever they're thirsty. And so, homegirl has a four-gallon jug. There's 10 camels. 250 gallons of water could have been consumed at the time. She worked hard. And to an ancient Near Eastern man, this is a monumental task. And so, it is awesome. Okay? She is like Lizzo in the song Juice. Ain't my fault that I'm out here making news. I'm the pudding in the proof. Gotta blame it on my juice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so he sees this, and it is definitely news to him. And so he probably wonders, like, okay, this is happening. It's working. God is coming through. But he probably doubts certain things about himself. He probably fears certain things about himself, that he's a failure. He won't be able to do it. He's just a lowly old servant. And you and I have lots of doubts about ourselves, don't we? I've failed many times in the past. I'm not able to actually do the things that God wants me to do. I I should be ashamed about a lot of things. Nobody loves me. Why would God choose me? But if God chooses you, then all the things are working for your most ultimate good, for God's glory in the world. 
and it means that you are loved. And I need to get that at my heart whenever I feel ashamed about things. That God is with us for not just to like make you prosperous or, you know, uh, a lot of us are probably like, am I actually going to get a date if you're a single person? Probably wondering that. But no, it's accomplishes mission. I need to take an apologetic station break here. Uh, mostly because the verses, whenever it says that Abraham tells his servant not to get a wife from the Canaanites, this is important. Especially because June 12th, 1967, which now we have Loving Day, uh, came because of a court case about loving in which uh, interracial couples, like people say it seems to ban interracial couples. That wouldn't be allowed. And I have to say this, and to a shame and guilt in our own denomination, that there are people like uh, Thornwell and Dabney, as, er, as most recent as our uh, first stated clerk of our, of our de- denomination, were people who were against interracial marriage and race mixing. And so the seeds grow, grow deep. The reason for forbidding a marrying of a Canaanite is not due to ethnicity or race. In the book of Exodus, they left with a mixed multitude. We must also remember that persons in the line of Jesus included Rahab, a Canaanite, and also Ruth, a Moabitess. And in the end, it is every tongue, tribe, and nation that is blessed in Christ. More than that, Paul understands this in the book of 1 Corinthians, that it is religious practice, not ethnicity or race, that is forbidden in marriage. Why? Because Deuteronomy 7.3 says, hints at this, it says, if you mix Mary, they will take your heart away. You will no longer love the Lord your God more than other things. Other gods will come and replace it. First Kings tells them that you will be taken away and your loves will be taken away. Your true love. And we see that exemplified in Solomon as he ends his life straying from the love of God. But as we end this station break, we need to be aware that even in our denominations that we love, there are skeletons in the closet that we need to confront. And if we're going to move forward, we need to out them, talk about them, and that will help us unearth things that we need to know about ourselves. You know, but how do we overcome fear? Overcoming fear, though, is trusting about who you believe is with you. Because of Jesus, we know God will never leave or forsake us, and nothing can separate us from God, not even death. Why? Because death came upon Jesus Christ, and on the third day, He rose again. Therefore, you're free to go and be on mission. You're free to love your neighbor ruthlessly, confront the evils in your heart and in your home and in your neighborhood and in the world. And it allows the church to refuse to take shortcuts to do whatever is easier or whatever best fits the cultural moment. It allows us to do the hard things, to unearth and to let the ghosts and the skeletons out of the closet. 
for the world to see because God won't reject us. It allows us to confess this and confront them. And walking in faith for the church today is not giving into the temptation to take these little shortcuts, but is to live faithfully out in the world that relies not on our strength or our moral doings or how awesome we look or how great we can present ourselves, but it is trusting in the Lord's faithfulness and His steadfast love that will never give up. And the proof is in the pudding in the person of Jesus Christ. Not in how much we love God. Our love of God is empowered by how much we see Him love us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so faith has actions. Faith's actions trust God's providence or word. God's providence is the work that He does behind the scenes to govern all His creatures and their actions. In doing this, He sets in in course, a way that he's going to bless the world. Do we know why he's doing it? No, not necessarily, but we know where it's going. And the servant is trusting in God's steadfast love, God's promise, not his ability. God's promises empowers the servant's actions. God's people are encouraged to live the life of faith in action. There are to be people who are concerned about justice, mercy, and kindness. And why can they be that? Is because they have been dealt with in just, kind, and loving ways by their Lord and Savior. They are free to do this. They don't have to prove themselves to be approvable by God by their actions. They don't have to roll, you know, steamroll other people to get that. And so what do we see the servant do? And what is faith's actions? One, faith goes. In verse 10, we see him pack up ten camels, get the gang together, and says, We out, we are going 520 miles through the desert to find this woman. Why? Because God is a God of steadfast love, and he will see to it that his mission is accomplished. There are a ragtag bunch of people who have no business out in the desert, but he is going to end up working through his people. And so this servant goes. He doesn't know if he's going to come back successful on his own ability, but he knows that success relies on the steadfast love of the Lord, and so he's faithful. Faithfulness prays. In verse 12, we see him ask for help. He says, grant me success. And then in verse 14, he asks for guidance, and he says, Lord, if you are really in this, please bless me in this way so that I know that you are working. And it is written as a narratival device in order as a, to be a sign that God's word will come true to the promises, which helps us this way, okay? Nowadays, you can sit in your life in your living room, and some of us might pray, Lord, I pray that a good-looking, handsome man with lots of money who is faithful to you would drop out of the ceiling. Do this as a sign. And it ain't going to happen, okay? God is still faithful and He loves you, but this is given to the people as a sign to a people, not to you individually, but it is to strengthen their faith. You know what? A man dropping out of the ceiling is going to strengthen your pocketbook, you know, or your Instagram uh profile, but it isn't going to strengthen your faith necessarily. And so the signs point to the truthfulness that God is going to accomplish His mission for your life, not your mission for God in your life. Okay? 
Next, we see that he is active. He tells it like it is. He tells them, hey, I am here to do this. He doesn't cut it. He doesn't try to be a people pleaser with Laban, the mom, or anything like that. Laban then comes up and says, uh, why don't you just leave her here? Why? Because he saw the bling, and he's like, I need to get more money. And Laban is this sketchy character through the book of Genesis again and again. And so Laban, sketchy as all get out, says, hey, leave her here. Why? Because when you come back, I'm going to want more gold and silver. He sees gold and silver, and so he's thinking about his pocketbook. He doesn't really care that the Lord has blessed the journey of this. Thing. He's like, who cares? Bless my pocketbook is what he's working on. And what does the servant do? He's all like, uh, excuse me. No, do not delay me. The Lord has prospered me. And so he is certain about the Lord's work, and it gives him confidence to confront. And we need the confidence at times to know that God's mission will happen, and that allows us to confront things that maybe we're afraid to confront. It allows us to look in the mirror and confess and confront the sins that we're so afraid of actually letting other people know. It allows us to confront the racism, not just out there and other individuals, but the racism that is in my heart and the ways that we have been complicit in institutionalized and systemic racism. It allows us to confront those things and be active, not fearing, am I going to lose job? Am I going to lose credibility? Am I going to lose friends on Facebook? It allows us to confront them with the confidence that the Lord is going to bring about His mission, that this world will be blessed and it will look like the way He wants it to look like. Why? Because Jesus Christ walked out of a grave in three days to usher in a new creation in which you are tied to and you will be like Him. We will be trans, transformed into His likeness. It gives us the confidence. Confidence in the Lord empowers us to confront our love of entertainment, our ungodly love of convenience, of porn, of tribalism, political pandering, racism, injustice, false peace. Be killing sin, John Owen says, or sin will be killing you. And how do we know that this world will be blessed by God? Because it has been. It is as certain as Jesus rising bodily from the grave. The new world has come and it is coming. You see, Jesus is the one who goes into the, into the wilderness not knowing. Into a far off place. Not to seek a bride for someone else, but to seek his bride. And he wins her at the cost of his own blood which is more precious than gold or silver. Why? Because He loves her. Messed up people like you and me. He loves you. And when you are certain of God's love for you, when you get that in the heart, and you've got that in the person of Jesus Christ, you will be empowered to take action. And nothing can snatch you from God's hand. It says this in the book of Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Shall COVID-19 separate us from the love of Christ? Shall all the skeletons in our closets separate us from the love 
of Christ? No. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the confidence of God's love for you will be perfect will be the proportional power to enable you to walk in faithfulness in the next hour, next day, the next week. My daughter, same daughter that is afraid to go downstairs, uh, wouldn't jump off of a retaining wall that was three feet high. And she was looking down, she's like, I'm afraid I'm going to break a leg. And I'm like, come on, get down here. And she was just crumbling in fear, not wanting to jump. And so I approached her, and I looked at her and said, Honey, why don't you jump? I won't let anything happen to you. And in fact, I will catch you in my arms. And without hesitation, she leapt right into my arms. And the actions of faith knows that because of Jesus Christ and His life, death, and resurrection, knows that we could take the jump into uncertainty because we know that the Father has us in His arms. We could take faithful action. Even though there are many fears in this world. Let us pray. Mighty and gracious God, as we come to your table, we ask that you would nourish our faith, that you would strengthen us in the knowledge of your love and kindness and mercy for us. Lord, please be with us now. Help us this week as we go to take risks, risks of faith, knowing that you are with us. Lord, we need you. Please be with us. We ask you to pray these things in Christ's name.